Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christian Getting Internet Radio. Today is Friday, October 28th, 2016. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. The political season is upon us. Election Day in the United States is just days away. The hour of decision is coming, but I can't help but to imagine that this the decision has been made long ago. So tonight, we are going to have a discussion with Pastor Mark Downey entitled, Talking Politics to Death. And perhaps as Christians, we should be putting politics to death, and I think that's part of the intention behind the title. Pastor Downey, thank you for being here. Welcome to Christogenia. Well, good evening, Bill. It's um, my pleasure, as always, to be with you and to do a program. Uh, in fact, um, the, the t- title of tonight's show was somewhat, uh, uh, in a joking manner, when you asked me, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, the election is just right around the corner. And uh, and you said, well, we could... We could talk it to death. <laughs> and, uh, I thought, hey, that's a, a good title, uh, you know, talking politics to death. And uh, really, uh, politics ha- has rightly gotten a, a bad uh, name for itself. And, and many of us in Christian identity see politics as a pigsty. And some are now disenfranchised from rolling in the mud of madness because it, it truly is crazy. Um, I, I've, I've uh, experienced a lot of presidential elections over the years, and this one is just absolutely nuts. So before we go any further, I'd like to uh, open with a prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful to once again bring forth thy word, to lift up your covenant people. Israel is again in the throes of Babylon and subjects of tyranny, as the white race has fallen away from the racial admonitions of biblical truth. And now, in this election year of 2016, We approach a day of reckoning, being pulled to the right and pulled to the left in every direction that does not focus upon our Savior and Messiah, Jesus Christ, our only deliverer from the adversaries of righteousness. May you bless tonight's program with that still small voice that plants the seed of deliverance which we seek in earnest, and that is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness before the governments of man, that we should obey God rather than man. We can understand why America is under the divine wrath of a jealous God. It's because our people are whoring after strange gods. We pray for our people to overcome the rhetoric of the political quagmire, 
to awaken from their slumber and begin to identify the source of our problems. We believe in the final solution in which the enemy is turned to ash. Help us. Help your Israel people to repent of their lawlessness and turn to the faith of our fathers. We are stronger being together in Christ, and only with Christ will we ever make America great again. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I, um, I've always been interested in politics. I was thinking today how far back I went. And I, I remember, I think I was in grade school when I had one of these little transistor radios the size of a pack of cigarettes with a little earplug. And I was listening to, I, I forget which political party it was, but I was listening to their convention on this little radio. And uh, I was enthralled with the speeches and the roar of the crowd. And, and uh, it, it really stuck with me at that early age. And uh, like any kid, you know, you're growing up like Leave it to Beaver in America in the 1950s. And uh, uh, politics really wasn't a concern of me in my childhood uh, until something happened. Uh, in 1963, and that was the assassination of our president. And that changed everything. And things began to change drastically in this country in the 60s. And uh, I remember I, um, oh, in high school, I, I, uh, I have become a professional artist, and it was because of a very good high school art teacher that I had. And uh, this blows people's minds when I tell them, but uh, back in the mid-60s, my art teacher was painting portraits of leading figures of National Socialism. And, of course, us young students in southern Minnesota would emulate our teacher, and out in the hallway we had a display case in which we had a full representation of National Socialist uh, leaders and several portraits of Hitler. Of course, today that just wouldn't fly. I went to uh, college, and um, I took a political science class, and um, that particular year was a uh, presidential election year, and each student could select uh, the candidate of their choice and get involved. So at that point in time, I chose George Wallace. And again, the, the guy who I liked, uh, not that I liked Kennedy, but George Wallace was shot. Seems anytime we have somebody good come along in this country, doing things that are really against the grain of who we know to be the enemy, uh, there's an attempt on their life. And so uh, 
I eventually dropped out of college because I just didn't think I was learning that much. Uh, I was an art major and, and political science minor. And um, shortly after, because I dropped out, I was drafted into the Army. And I spent two years as a draftee. And they sent me to uh, Vietnam because I initiated a congressional <laughs> investigation during that time. And uh, I, I was uh, very early on developing uh, a political co consciousness. And, and once I got out of the Army, um, I was uh, uh, scratching my head wondering why did we have such a an insane no-win war in Vietnam? And that led me to historical revisionism. And uh, I learned that um, the Holocaust was greatly exaggerated and uh, for nefarious political purposes. And around that time, um, I came upon Christian identity. And, of course, I already was somewhat uh, savvy to the Jew. And so the two fit nicely together. And I was still interested in uh, political matters. And in the mid-80s, a third party developed called the Populist Party. And we became very populist. That word isn't is loosely bandied about today, but we took it to mean uh, returning to the Christian roots of our country. And we insisted um, of all the, uh, the states, I'd say maybe about a third of the country had state uh, populist parties, but Washington State, where I was at the time, where I was raised and grew up, uh, was pretty much Christian identity. Um, our state chairman, and I was vice chairman at the time, uh, were Christian identity, and uh, as well as uh, a lot of our members. In 1994, I got my feet wet and decided to run for the state legislature. <laughs> and um, with some trepidation, uh, I uh, got into the, the foray and learned a lot about how politics works, at least on a state level. But I had a lot of fun doing it. I went to um, candidate forums and um, generally uh, won the crowd with my common sense uh, Christian resolves to just about any political problem you could think of. And uh, I remember Colonel Jack Moore telling me, Mark, you shouldn't be throwing your time and money down the rat hole of politics. <laughs> but I told him, but Jack, I'm, I'm distributing your books and articles at these candidate forums. 
And so, uh, if nothing else, it was a great opportunity to spread the good news of the racial message of the Bible. And that's how we should use politics, always. Yes. And uh, one of my most memorable events was at a uh, high school in which there was a student body of, I'd say, about 600. And they had a uh, question and answer time. And one of these little new age missies uh, walks up to the microphone and she says, Mr. Downey, what is your opinion of gay rights? And uh, I simply recited Leviticus 20:13, And I'll tell you, it was like I, at a football game in which somebody just scored a touchdown. But the thing is, it was so loud, half the people were cheering and the other half were jeering. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, that made uh, the editorials of the uh, Tacoma News Tribune and even up in Seattle, the Post-Intelligencer ran articles about this uh, racist guy uh, down in uh, Puyallup that was running for the state legislature. Well, uh, I also at that time learned a lot about the media. Uh, of course, they don't like populist or uh, proud racist. Uh, they're proud to be white and Christian. And um, I would do like an hour-long interview, and I thought it was great. But I found out quickly that the media is looking for the weakest link in in your interview. And, of course, they took five minutes of that interview, and that was the headline when we talked about gay rights. Uh, as I recall, the the headline was Downey calls for gallows for gays. <laughs> good good headline. We should use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, another one I loved. Um, uh, me and the little old lady protested uh, Colin Powell uh, when he came to town for a book signing, and the headline was. He's no pal of theirs. <laughs> but uh, really, uh, you have to have fun if you want to get your feet wet uh, uh, tangling with a, a slippery serpent of either party. Uh, this uh, political season... Is dividing friends and family like never before. My wife showed me a, uh, a small dispute that was brewing on um, on Facebook just a week or so ago, and it's people we know that are in the movement, and the um, the uh, the younger gentleman, he's in his twenties. He said he and his wife are not voting. Uh, this election time, and and he was instructing his wife that he didn't want her to vote either. Well, the the elder of of these youngsters uh, came out and lambasted them, and in so many words said that people that don't vote 
this upcoming election are apathetic. And what is really surprising, Bill, and I'm not going to name him by name, is that he's a Christian identity pastor who's jumped on the bandwagon of white nationalist to uh, go with Donald Trump simply because of what he launched his campaign on the promise of banning all Muslims coming into this country until our leaders can figure out what the hell is going on. Well, well, that's ridiculous. They know exactly what's going on. They're behind the Muslims coming into the country. And, of course, he's diluted uh, his initial statement since then. Um, But, uh, as the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. The the fourth branch of government is the self-appointed media. And um, this goes back to the time of Christ, where the media at that time were the scribes who were working on behalf of the Pharisees, the people who killed Christ. Well, well, right. That's absolutely true. A lot of people don't realize it, but the... um the, the kings, the high priests, the people in Jerusalem would make decrees. That They didn't just stand on a porch of a temple and make a decree. Everything was recorded and was sent out through all of the towns in the nation, all of the towns in the country. It, it was sent out as an edict to all of the towns in the country. I, I mean, they were. Those scribes were the, the newspapers of the time. The official recorders. And, and up until the, um, and, and I discussed this in the Protocols of Satan series, up until the, the 18th century, the newspapers were financed by the nobles of, a, of a, the lords of the land, financed the newspapers so that they could have an informed citizenry, and the newspapers, the, the media's task, was to inform the citizens of, of what was going on in the land. And that was a public service for them to finance that. It wasn't until the 19th century and the emancipation of the Jews and the rise of capitalism that newspapers became for-profit industries controlled by the money powers. Well, and we know what Christ said about the scribes. He said, woe unto you, along with the lawyers and the Pharisees, and called them all hypocrites. It's um, interesting that according to the 1905 Jewish Encyclopedia, the Rothschilds were the first to make use of journalistic methods to arouse the interest of the public in their loans. They have, however, consistently kept the secret of their own operations. Uh, I'd say this consortium of money changers realized they needed a cosmetic makeover, not only for themselves, but 
the entire portrayal of Jewry itself, they thus turned the tables on Jesus and crowned themselves as God's chosen people. And they recruited the scribes, a key to their mass communication media, to effect a powerful ideological institution. And it's in full swing today with a plethora of manufactured news for the sole purpose of ruling the world. And it's a fact that six Jewish companies control 96% of the world's media. That's astounding, Bill. And, and it took them, it, it took them a century and a half. It only took them a century and a half to gain that control. And, and most of that control has actually been gained in the last 40, 50 years. But the, the commercial media is only between 150, 200 years old. I, I mean, depending on what country in Europe you're in. That the commercial media is relatively new. It's no more than a couple of hundred years old. So the emancipation of the Jews and their ability to um, own and and write and speak through newspapers is only between uh, 160 and 200 years old. It, it's in Austria they weren't, and, and Germany they weren't emancipated until the 1840s, 1850s, and there. And in France a little earlier, and in England even sooner than that, but England's the exception. It, it's that they couldn't own newspapers and, and have a public voice in politics. Even in England, they weren't allowed to hold office un, until the middle of the 19th century. So the Jews have consolidated all this power in a very short time. Yeah. And, and at one time, the newspapers were a fourth estate. Well, that is when the media was in the hands of, of the nobles of Europe and, and the autocrats. The media was a fourth estate. But when the Jews, when the capitalists converted the media to a for-profit enterprise, they claimed that title, that fourth estate perception, when really they're just a, ba a, a band of robbers who, who were lying to us and, and deceiving us after they've taken over our media. Well, lies are their uh, trademark. And uh, I'm by no means a historian uh, like yourself, but uh, I really enjoy reading uh, not so much uh, the war of northern aggression against the South, otherwise known as the Civil War, but what's known as the Reconstruction Period in which it actually was a continuation uh, of North against the South uh, in, in the guise of uh, the uh, guerrilla movement known as the Ku Klux Klan. And during this period of history, American history, Northern newspapers uh, took an active role in slandering uh, these southern uh, uh, ex-Confederate soldiers uh, by hiring thugs to commit atrocities in the South so that the new northern newspapers could present a slanted 
uh, news story of how bad and terrible uh, this guerrilla movement was. And isn't it ironic that we're seeing the same thing right now? Thank God for WikiLeaks that uh, the Democratic Party has done the same thing by hiring thugs to go into Trump rallies uh, trying to pick fights and to incite a racist reaction uh, and, and even getting violent in order to get their targets, which is usually a clean-cut white guy with his family and children. And of course he's going to protect his family against these low lowlifes that um, uh, are trying to uh, provoke them with violence. And, and the newspapers, the media, is complicit in orchestrating this uh, prefabricated uh, story that they know is false. Well, right, and and the entire media. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying Donald Trump is a saint or, or our savior by any means. But, Me either. But but more than ever before, and we've seen the collusion in the past, and we've seen the bias in the past. But this time, it is blatantly evident, right in front of everybody's faces, that the media has been colluding against Trump, who might be the last white man that anybody can vote for for president. They've been colluding against Trump. They've been colluding in favor of Hillary Clinton, their chosen candidate. And and this is not a coincidence. There must be a higher power higher than all of these media outlets that is controlling them all in favor of Hillary Clinton. And that could only be because the entire media is controlled by a very small handful of companies who also happen in turn to all be controlled by Jews. That There's no doubt that, that they have the power to collude, not only the media outlets with a presidential candidate, but all of the media outlets with one another. They have the power and and all of the ability that they need to collude with one another. It, it's yeah. I, I stated in in the Protocols of Satan series, and and I think that I actually came a long way towards proving it that for the last hundred and fifty years, the media does not measure public opinion; they create public opinion. Whatever they print is perceived as the public opinion. And the politicians turn to the media to, to understand the public opinion. All they're really getting is the opinion of the Jews that control the media. So the media creates its own reality. It has the power to form reality in, after its own pattern, after the will that it wants. That it's blatantly evident this election cycle more than any other that all of the polls are just made up lies. They're just made up bullshit lies. They just throw a bunch of numbers up there because they want the public to perceive that their chosen candidate is far ahead in a race. Which seems like. Um... <laughs> 
is why it, it's so contrived to the discerning eye. Uh, both you and I have discussed uh, the, the dialectic that seems to be going on here. I know there's it's very easy for people to be convinced that uh, Trump is some kind of savior. But he surrounds himself with Jews. And he loves the Israelis and Netanyahu. But what if he's a player? What if this is all contrived to make us think that there's a good side and a bad side? Like I said in my opening prayer, we're being pulled to the right, we're being pulled to the left. I'm not convinced that Donald Trump is the real deal. Well, well, I'm... He says all the right things to grab the hearts and minds of the gullible, but for Christians, we should be much more discerning of the Spirit. And, and he is found to be wanting in that department. I just wrote a short article... And, and it's on the front page of Chris Gennier. It's the, it's the Saxon Messenger editorial for this issue, which I hope comes out within the next week. What well, within the next couple of days, it, it's entitled Political Devices. And in it, I wrote that, um, over a year ago, I said that Donald Trump exists only to make white nationalists look stupid. And here I'm going to qualify that remark. He will make white nationalists look stupid if they place their hope for the future of white America in Donald Trump. Then they are going to end up looking stupid and they will deserve their fate. Donald Trump is no friend of whites. Donald Trump has been in bed with the Jewish bankers and the globalist corporate elites for his entire career. He's a billionaire. He's not an idiot. He knows exactly what he's doing, and, and he is not going to change any of the globalist politics and, and policies which have been slowly eroding the white Christian base in this country since, the I, I could say since the Reagan years, I could say since the Eisenhower years. It, it doesn't matter. It's always been that the Rockefeller Republicans that put Eisenhower in office had the same agenda. And it's not changing. Now, if Donald Trump did anything that he promised, any of the, that the extreme, that the extreme promises he made that appeal to white nationalists, if he did any of those things, he's either going to cause a war or he's going to be assassinated. One or the other. Because we have no political solution. The hope I see in this election is that more and more whites finally realize that the blacks, that the, the gay crowd, that the, the, the Mexicans are all openly and directly adverse to white Christian interests, and there is no reconciling them, that it polarizes the nation. Trump has been an effective polarizer because so many whites and white nationalists who otherwise have no hope, have rallied behind him. Too bad they don't have that hope in Christ that they have in Donald Trump. But our hope is that this divides us further as a body politic,
because we shouldn't be joined to these aliens and we should realize that we can't be joined to these aliens. And once we realize that and realize we have no political solution, then and only then will our people turn to the correct solution. That's it. He says he's not politically correct, but really uh, he is in many ways. The one thing that's good is that um, the invectives, the uh, the labeling of uh, uh, racist and bigot and anti-Semitic and all this stuff is wearing very thin on people's thinking. And that's a good thing, you know, because people don't give a damn what you call them. They see what's happening in Europe. They see their white daughters being raped over there, and they don't want it to happen here. The thing is, will Donald Trump do anything about it? Will he really? And that's that's the big question. I don't think there's going to be any wall built because there's smarter things you can do to stop people from uh, crossing our borders. You don't have to build a wall. It's just a, a very flamboyant idea that's easy to uh, to repeat as a political soundbite. And forcing the so-called immigration laws that we have, actually enforcing those laws would stop corporations in America from employing them and would force them to go back to Mexico. Simply enforcing the laws that have never been enforced in, 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 since the 50s, enforcing those laws would force the illegal, that would be enough of a wall. But they don't enforce the laws. Now, it, it's, um, it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of sad to say that in, the structure of the American government, the president does not have to enforce the laws. That's part of the balance of power. The executive branch, the way the nation is set up, the and, and this started, Andrew Jackson was the first one to realize this. When Andrew Jackson was president, the Supreme Court made a decision, I forget which decision it was, and he laughed at them and said they'll never get anybody to enforce it, that or, or something like that. It's like that they could rule anything they want, but I'm not going to enforce it. And that's the prerogative of an American president to choose, pick and choose which laws he wants to enforce. That's just the way it is. That's the power that the, the Constitution um, puts into the executive branch. So the sad thing is that the American people never hold a president accountable for not enforcing the laws that they want enforced. That's where it should come into play. That That's the people uh, are the final um, adjudicator in that instance. They'll vote him out. They should vote him out or demand he be impeached. If a president, if a president flagrantly, flagrantly ignores the laws, Congress has the power to impeach him. But in today's global corporate friendly government what where they're all on the payroll of, of of the global corporations and and the investment bankers in new york 
they're not enforcing any of the laws. They're using the Constitution, that they're using the Constitution as an excuse not to enforce the laws or not to do their jobs. And they're always point, there's no accountability in a, in a representative democracy. They all point the fingers at each other. And of course, the whole thing plays into the media agenda anyway. So the media is never going to point the fingers. So what we have is the, the power of money that has come to rule over us, which is inevitably stated in the protocols. It's the inevitable result of liberalism when you have a, a people that are apathetic and, and sheeple. They just go along with the program, and that's what they do. Every two years, you hear people curse about Congress, but they never vote out their incumbent congressmen. Right. They never do. We have a nation of sin and bureaucracy and the rule of the bankers is our tyranny, which is punishing us for our sin. We have no political solution. There's a hundred reasons why. And anybody who's an identity Christian that puts faith or hope in a politician is just a fool. The only thing we should hope for from this, this election is to further divide and polarize this nation and further disenchant white people and, and get them to understand that there's no political solution. Well, and uh, that's why we're discussing politics to death, because we want to see the demise of the political machine. The, the paradigm happened years ago where the nation state has been replaced by multicultural or, or multinational corporations that are more powerful than countries these days and call the shots. They buy and sell politicians uh, uh, like, like it's nothing. And uh, whenever you have leadership deciding for themselves what's right or wrong, then they've abandoned the faith of our fathers that had a very clear moral compass uh, when this, this nation was formed. This was a Christian nation at one time. There's a Supreme Court decision that said this is a Christian nation. But as in the parable of the wheat and the tares, an enemy hath come in and sown tares. The wheat is the white race, the Israelites. And we're not to seek the ways of man, the leadership of men deciding what is wrong, but men who will be in office reflecting the will of God. Because God has already, God makes it easy for us to run a country because his word has already decided what is right or wrong. And during the early years of America, we had a competent uh, clergy who had the tradition of giving election sermons. 
And that was the moral compass of that day. To steer the nation in the right direction, to make sure that they held their leaders accountable. But there's no accountability to the three branches of government today because they're not answerable to God or the people. And and thus, uh, we can realize the scripture that when the wicked rule, the people mourneth. But when the righteous rule, they rejoice. There's not too much to rejoice about today as far as politics goes, which is why it, it needs to be replaced with the only thing that will work. And that's what Christ told us when he initiated his three-year ministry, seek ye first above everything the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he promised that everything else would be added unto you. But it's a matter of too many people that don't have a belief in the Word of God. And you know who's responsible for that, Bill, is today's modern pulpits. In fact, there's a symbiosis between uh, state and church. It's a canard to think that there's a separation of church and state. Uh, if anything, it, it's a collaboration. And and 95% of churches in America today are 501c3 tax-exempt organizations that are created by the state, not by God. They're collaborating with the government. And they are forbidden to advocate certain issues that the government doesn't want churches to persuade their followers to do. And that includes endorsing political candidates. Well, well right. In, in the early years of the American Republic and before the, the, the independence from Britain, before the independence from Britain, there were American clergymen, thousands of American clergymen, reading Thomas Paine's Common Sense in the pulpit and encouraging the people to join the revolution for independence from the British because the British were oppressing the Americans in, in many ways. And, and we may get the time to discuss that later. But, but the, um, what, where at one time the churches set the moral compass and the political direction of the nation with the IRS tax exemptions the churches have been barred from that now the media sets the moral direction and the moral compass of the nation and the political direction of the nation they filled the void that the churches abdicated when they signed up for their tax exemptions and the churches stand by and agree with anything that the media espouses. It's a direct collaboration between the churches, the government, the people that control the government, and the media. That's why when the media started preaching multiculturalism in the 1970s, the churches were in lockstep with them, and the government was legislating it 
all at the same time. The church has never resisted the slide down the hill to Sodom and Gomorrah because they've been collaborating with it, all in the name of their tax exemptions. You know, it, it gets even worse than that. If you want to talk about political influence, nowadays, late night talk shows, comedians influence how people vote. Barbara Streisand. I mean, there's a comedian. She can't sing. She must be funny. Well, I don't know if she's a, a talk show host, but the the three major networks uh, each have their competing comedians, and they have lowered the bar so low that they've gotten Americans to laugh and and have fun over the decadence that we witness today. They make jokes about it. They have presidential candidates as their guest and clown around so that the American people can't take anything really that serious as to what's happening to their nation. It's all they, funny. They mock righteousness. It's a, just a big joke to them. And you know, it's... Yeah, here's something funny. Most of the comedians are Jewish. I guess they've got a monopoly on uh, what makes people laugh. But really, it's the, the joke is on us. Uh, and um, there's nothing funny about uh, the, the manipulation and the molding of public opinion uh, through that theater of the absurd that is a daily weekday occurrence. And you, you better believe it, it has an influence on elections. Much more, they probably have more influence than the clergy. Oh, and the far churches. More. Far more because the clergy and the churches aren't really supposed to be talking about elections. Well, they talk about collusion though. Uh, there's many churches today especially the Catholic Church, that are facilitating uh, this onslaught of refugees coming in from the Middle East. And, um, and the government is paying these churches millions of dollars to set up businesses for people that aren't even citizens. And who's paying for this is the citizens, the taxpayers of the United States. They're paying for their own destruction. It's really a sad commentary on the times we live. It's the taxpayers and it's the church donors. And they purchase the media and, and the government that they support the government, the churches and the media who are all in collusion to destroy them. You know, I was channel surfing the other day on satellite, there must be at least a dozen, I don't know, maybe 15 religious channels, also called Christian. And every single one of them are beholding to the Jew. Each and every one of them proclaimed Jesus was a Jew. And we know that's a blatant lie. I explained, uh, maybe we can talk about this a little later, but I 
had been talking since last summer about an open letter to Trump. And I finally wrote it, and I tried explaining in the most simplest of terms. Maybe he's never heard about the Jewish problem. But biblically and historically, Jews are not Israelites. They never have been. They never will be. But millions of people believe that lie. God says, if, if you believe a lie, I'll send strong delusion. I think the Christogenia New Testament says that he'll send an operation of error. <laughs> Boy, a lot of people are sure uh, operating in error these days. But I'd like to uh, relate one uh, election sermon, just a short quote, um, that was preached by Jonathan Mayhew in 1765. And I think he gives a proper understanding between authority and resistance. He said, the king is as much bound by his oath not to infringe the legal rights of the people as the people are bound to yield subjection to him. From when it follows that as soon as the prince sets himself up above the law, he loses the king in the tyrant. He does, to all intents and purposes, unking himself by acting out of and beyond that sphere which the Constitution allows him to move in. And in such cases, he has no more right to be obeyed than any inferior officer who acts beyond his commission. The subject's allegiance then ceases, of course, and to resist him is no more rebellion than to resist a foreign invader. It is making use of the means and the only means which God has put into their power for mutual and self-defense, end quote. There's, um, there's a couple of ways to look at the American Revolution, and this is the way that I look at it. it it's, um, it's kind of complex because first you have to realize that the Christian Bible offers us two choices of government. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says that every soul must be subject to a higher authority, and there's no authority which comes except it come through God. And the authority which Christians should seek is Joshua Christ, Jesus Christ. He should be the king, and the law of God should be that the um, ruling structure in every Christian's life. But when we sin, we're promised tyranny. And that's Romans chapter 13. When we sin, we're guaranteed to be ruled over by tyrants. God raised up Pharaoh and hardened his heart in order to show his power. For a reason, he hardened the heart of Pharaoh, so that he could destroy Egypt and deliver the Israelites out of it. Well, in, this, in the 18th century, the American colonists, these American colonists were English citizens that chose to come here, even though they would still be ruled by England. 
And the English became very callous towards those colonists and started to tyrannize over them. So the English, the, the Americans had, they were being laid with burdensome taxes and they had no representation in Parliament. So the English nobles were oppressing them and the nobles in England, the, the English nobles in America actually acted as if they were above the law and as if the Americans were inferior English citizens. Yes. And the Americans lobbied for parliamentary representation and the king and the parliament denied it. So they had no recourse. It was like God hardening the heart of Pharaoh in order to separate the American nation from the English motherland. That's how I look at the American Revolution. Now, at that time, our people had two paths to walk down. Christian governance, where even Jonathan Mayhew had, had says here that that they could choose their own that their own magistrates and and I'm sorry that's a that's another speech that you have here from from another early pastor of, of the American Revolution in a 1776 sermon who says that any people when cruelly oppressed this along the same lines as Jonathan Mayhew has a right to throw off the yoke and be free as magistrates have no authority but what they derive from the people. This is an important because it represents that other form of government which Christians are offered. Paul says to the Christian assembly that you set people from a, don't turn to Caesar. Don't turn to the government. Right. You set rulers of your own. You set the humble among you as your rulers, as your judges, to make your decisions. Of, of right and wrong to settle your disputes. So if we are a godly Christian people, we live independently of the tyrants and we choose our own judges and we make our own local government. And if we're a godly Christian people, our God assures us liberty in Christ. But we never done that. We have never practiced that. <laughs> We always seem to turn to Big Brother, and, and we always seem to be oppressed. The, the, the end result, because we want that earthly king, is to be oppressed by tyrants. We always choose that avenue. It always seems that we backslide into that. And, and that's how I view the American Revolution, and that's how I view the result of the American experiment, the liberal experiment, that the people always backslide and want that earthly king, and they end up being oppressed by tyrants. Well, even the early church in the first century um, was uh, under attack and, and persecuted. It, it wasn't easy uh, standing up and, and declaring yourself a follower of Christ. Uh, unfortunately, we've had... Uh, more centuries of oppression and persecution than being free men on the land in a, a, a Christian nation. What our people have to understand is that when we're oppressed and, and under an iron yoke of tyranny, that often 
most oftentimes it's because of divine judgment. Because we've wandered away from the ways of Christ, uh, you can't oppose an enemy um, by using their same tactics. We're told in the Bible that if you want change, you have to turn to God. You have to repent. And that was the message of Christ for all time. For the last 2,000 years, all our people have to do is change their ways. It's to cry unto the Lord. We hear that happening time and time again in the Old Testament. And God heard his people. He heard their cries. And it seems like they're never going to get it until they realize that there's no other political it's solution. It's like the very last thing <laughs> that they'll do. That their backs literally, it, it seems that their backs literally are going to have to be to the Red Sea. They're, they're on the precipice of a cliff ready to be pushed over. And, uh, and all of a sudden they cry out, Lord, help me. You know, it's, it's like the drowning man, you know, going down for the third time out in the middle of the ocean. And then, then, uh, he'll cry out, God help me. Hoping for a miracle. That there are some, that there are some right thinking, um, identity Christians who are, who are in, in our chat rooms and who know me well. That there are some who think that um, if Hillary wins, that we'll have our backs to the Red Sea quicker. And that perhaps things will go downhill faster. We'll have our backs to the Red Sea quicker. And our people will finally realize that 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 um, they have no other recourse but God. And there's others who just as equally think that... Um, if Trump wins, that the niggers will have massive chimp outs, the Mexicans will go crazy, and, and that's a different route to the same place for our people. <laughs> you know, so there's two choices. I don't know which one is right or, or which one is more plausible. It's hard to choose. I've I, always thought that the Democratic Party was the fast track to destruction and the Republican Party was the slow track to destruction. Right, because the Republican Party seems to hold the line a little a, a little more and, and the slide to Sodom is a little slower and that they that they anesthetize the people. It, it's like they put them back into a spirit of assurance in their government. And, and they have more of a tendency to... Uh, forge this emerging police state, right? More so than what the Democrats would overtly do. Oh, oh right. A lot of people have this. Um, a, a lot of people today have this mistaken conclusion that Republicans ha have held the line on on Christian civilization, and and that's just wrong. I, I mean, it wasn't the Democrat that sent the the the, the troops into Alabama. And force segregation on the South, and 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 force school integration on the South. I'm sorry. It it was George Wallace was standing on the steps of the of the University of Alabama when Eisenhower was president, a Republican, and it was Richard Nixon who caused the busing riots in the 1970s. Yeah. It was Richard Nixon who gave us 
equal opportunity. The Equal Opportunity Commission affirmative action, that was all under the Republican administration of Richard Nixon. So Eisenhower and Nixon advanced the multicultural agenda just as much as Lyndon Johnson and, and more than Jimmy Carter. Well, as George Wallace said, there's not a dime's worth of difference between Republicans and Democrats. The, 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 um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that the armed forces, you can correct me if I'm wrong, yet you might have been around a little longer, that the armed forces were desegregated under Eisenhower, not before that. I, I'm pretty sure it was under Eisenhower. Yes, and, and race mixing, miscegenation really began in the armed forces, uh, especially after World War II, when um, uh, American forces in Japan started uh, marrying Japanese brides. The, 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 the last massive, never-to-happen-again amnesty for illegal immigrants was under Ronald Reagan, another Republican. You know, there's been so much um, rabid response to deporting the alien element they they just oh it's just so impossible you can't do that but you know there's been several uh, instances in our history where presidents have done just that uh, president polk uh, during his administration before the civil war deported some 30,000 mexicans mm -hmm. en masse and I believe during Eisenhower, there was also another uh, purge. So with our modern uh, technology, there's no reason why we can't logistically uh, get rid of, of millions of people that don't belong here. But they're not going to want to. They're not going to want to get rid of them. Trump's not going to get rid of them. You know, it's, it's going to boil down, and this is where the clergy is gutless because they won't follow God's law that says in Exodus 23:33, they shall not dwell in thy land. But they think that God's law is all men are created equal. <laughs> well, that isn't what Deuteronomy 7, 6 says. You are a holy people above all the people on the face of the earth. But that's, that's talking about Jews, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's pulling my leg, everybody. <laughs> but uh, really, if they don't belong in our country, then the illusion is that that people are are in some kind of dream world. Well, being that they're here, see that's the point. Being that they're here, then we have to deal with them in a Christian manner. No, we don't. It was God who told the Israelites that if you want the promised land, you got to go in there and eliminate every last Canaanite, even their children and their animals. Well, well here is, you might not want to talk about this, but this is the crux of, of, the, of the argument. It, in, the, in, in the Declaration of Independence, it says all men are created equal. And your citation here of the Jonathan Mayhew 1765 sermon speaks about the, the king and the nobility not being superior to the people that they govern. 
and and that was why that clause was written into the Declaration of Independence. It had nothing to do with race. It it had everything to do with status and class because the assertion of the colonists was that the nobles, the noble classes, were not above the law, that all men were created equal. And in the context of all of the writings of the period, Thomas Jefferson's intent was that all men were created equal in the eyes of the law. They did not believe the races, the races were equal and should mix. And, and you've written in, in here at length that the founders did not want the Africans, the freed Africans, to stay in America. Right. But even at that point in history, it, it had escalated to such a point that it truly was a formidable uh, task to repatri repatriate them back to Africa. Well, well, right. There were several million black slaves, but they did try to repatriate them back to Africa. And, and that's why the United States government had bought that land from tribal chieftains and called it Liberia. Liberia, liberty, freed slaves. Liberia was supposed to be the destination of all the blacks who were freed from slavery so that they did not mix in with the wider white society. When those old white men of yesteryear wrote the preamble, there weren't any Vietnamese in this country. There weren't any Syrians. There weren't any uh, Africans. Not, when not they used citizens. the word, when they used the word posterity, right, which meant one race only, right. the white race. Th there weren't any Africans as citizens, and and they weren't. That there weren't any Africans signing those founding documents or intended to be represented by those founding documents. So they can't squeeze into the, the definition of posterity in the context of the founders. They can't. Sorry, you're right. You just can't do that, except for maybe in some um, Afrocentric um, social studies in uh, some ivory tower college somewhere. Uh, and, and there's another problem area in our country is the universities and colleges that have turned political correctness into a theater of the absurd. Well, well they've been controlled for over 100 years by yes. the same money powers right. that, that have bought up the media and corrupted the clergy. That, that's the, the, the whole outline of the protocols of, of Zeon uh, are, is how the money powers would gain absolute control and impose a tyranny over Christian society. And, and they have diverted our attention with the old bread and circuses. You know, the, the biggest money uh, thing on campuses these days is football, basketball. Um, tens of millions of dollars um, revolve around the survival of colleges and universities today which ties into the, um, the professional teams, which ties into Madison Avenue, which ties into media. And 
people don't think about the kingdom of God when when they've got the traditions of man and and all of these distractions that make them think about everything other than the ways of God. They're certainly not going to be thinking, hmm, which candidate reflects um, the will of God that's running for president in the United States in the year 2016? Well, none of them. Neither the two major contenders or any of the other smaller candidates from third parties. Well, there's some that there's a glimmer of hope for some people, at least in in the news lately, that this um and and I, I don't care one whit about the pledge of allegiance because Christians should only pledge allegiance to Christ. Right. But the Judaized Christians believe that they should pledge allegiance to a flag representing. The, the, the corporate government of, of this country, which is by no means Christian. So they believe that, and, and they believe it in their hearts, and most of these are good Christian people, even if they're deceived Christian people. And that they go to church for an hour on Sunday, and then they worship niggers for 10 hours on football, on, on television, and, and that's the ritual every year. But well now, because some of these Negro athletes are refusing through this Black Lives Matter, George Soros instigation, are refusing to participate in this Pledge of Allegiance ritual to this flag, these Christian football fans aren't watching the games. And viewership is down as much as 25%. So if if it takes the beasts to turn these people from watching this sports idolatry, maybe Yahweh does work. Maybe God does work in strange ways after all. Well, you really could call it divine irony. Uh, It's it's kind of like um, uh, Christmas, Bill. Um, uh, The nominal Christian that goes to church twice a year, you know, for Christmas services and, and uh, the, the Easter egg hunt. Uh, they, they are outraged that the ACLU would remove a nativity scene from the local fire department. So someone of, just corrected me. I'm sorry. It's the national anthem they refuse to stand for. Yeah. But I'm, I'm Go on. <laughs> I got it wrong. Well, the thing is that every year Christmas just, I mean, they don't even want to call it Christmas anymore. How bad does it have to get before there's a divine irony of people rejecting it altogether because it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ? People just love the traditions of man. But doesn't didn't Christ say that traditions make the word of God of none effect? And it would it would take something like so much ridiculousness and, and tragedy. There's tragedy every year in December because of that holy day, really, of pagans. I mean, even in the old Soviet Union they celebrated Christmas. Uh, which was 
uh, Jewish atheism. But nonetheless, um, it, sometimes we have to see God's hand in, in things. And uh, I certainly believe that he is not absent from no, this election not. this year because it's just so bizarre. You have to believe you have to believe God is in control. Uh, otherwise, you know, we're a lab rat trying to find the cheese in a complicated labyrinth. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's he's definitely in control. It, it's we, we just. But we, we know his will for what we should do, but we don't really know what he has in store for those of us who don't want to do his will. Well, we don't know if Hillary's going to be the president, if Trump's going to be the president. Uh, I know which would be the more interesting. I know which would be the more fun to watch. <laughs> I, I don't know if major chimp outs in the black neighborhoods of America would beat a war with Russia but <laughs> in, in the news ratings, but... Well, either way, the Jew thinks they're in control, and they're not. Right. They're in for a big surprise when God reveals himself as the divine intercessor in the affairs of man. Absolutely. But, you know, I tend to think, I'm not a prophet, I'm not predicting anything, but I liken Hillary to Jezebel, as well as a lot of other Christians, simply because... Uh, she is such uh, a, a demonic female character. She, she is brazenly contrary to everything Christian. And and everything uh, that is feminine. Not to be confused with feminism. Right. Um, and we know uh, the end of Jezebel was being thrown out a window and stomped by horses and dogs eating her carcass. That would be a just end to Hillary Clinton. I pity the dogs. And, and that's why it doesn't bother me that much that the anti-type of Jezebel is right before our very eyes. Absolutely. I, I mean, <laughs> she's definitely a Jezebel. That there may be other Jezebels in the future that are worse. Well, we don't know how bad things are going to get, but Hillary Clinton is pretty damn bad. God never allows the tyrant to boast and puff themselves up thinking they are God. Well, well right. Herod Agrippa II was eaten by worms. Herod Agrippa I, I'm sorry, was eaten by worms as soon as he thought that he should accept the accolades from the people that he was a god. He was eaten by worms. He was fell dead, and that was the end of him. I've said, you know, we've got our first Negro dictator. If she gets elected, she'll be the first female dictator. <laughs> but we've been waiting to see the demise of the Negro for some time now. Well, we may have to wait. Sometimes God uses the beast as a rod of chastisement. And many people look at Obadiah as um, my reference to uh, ash in, uh, uh, of jewelry 
is exactly that in Obadiah, where Jacob has a fire and uh, Esau Edom is a stubble. But um, there's um, there's a lot of thespianism, which you know the early actors on on stage were not in a derogatory sense, but as a, a talent, they were called liars. Not as we use the term today, but they were talented liars. They pretended something that they weren't. Right, and that's why we have the word hypocrite. To, to the Greeks, say Hippocrates, a hypocrite was what was an actor, a- and we use that word hypocrite in a totally different sense because actors are are, are liars. They have to be good liars. And I was uh, uh, talking to you earlier today about. Um, Benjamin Disraeli, uh, who uh, Michael Hoffman wrote about earlier this uh, summer in his newsletter um, with uh, interesting biography called Benjamin Disraeli, head of state and head of the Rothschild Company. And in a lot of ways, um, it, it points to the um, the acting that goes into being a politician or to uh, leading a, a nation. And this Jew, he, he was a master of the stage or stagecraft, which, by the way, there's not much difference between stagecraft and witchcraft, witchcraft being rebellion against God. But that's why Christ told the scribes and the Pharisees that they were such great hypocrites over and over again. <laughs> well, if I may quote Michael Hoffman, he says, indeed, he, meaning Disraeli, was himself a Rothschild. The English aristocracy could have consistently obstructed Rothschild bankers in the land had they resurrected back into force the ruling of one of the most esteemed legal authorities in the chronicle of their nation, Sir Edward Coke, Lord Chief Justice of England. Coke had reaffirmed that the Jews were perpetui inimici, perpetual enemies, and that the possibility of their sincere conversions to Christianity was only remoto potentia, a remote possibility. Hence, between them and us, as between us and the devil, declared Koch, there can be no peace. Instead, in all cases, and many more not cited here, by way of their Gentile co-conspirators, meaning Jews, were granted pathways to power and rulership over the Christian population. Now, Hoffman goes on to explain how Disraeli almost single-handedly authored books. Uh, He was a writer that would enamor 
the British into submission to the Red Shield, which is what Rothschild means, which was to so mix up opposing principles as to make them identical. In religion, the dialectic at work is to suggest that Christ was an imposter and that he is God. And it was the Jews who vicariously crucified him on the cross because of who he said he was, and after his death and resurrection, tried to hijack the faith. There, there were Judeo-Christians in the first century. They tried Judaizing what the Apostle Paul fought so hard against. Right. Keeping the people under their thumb in 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 in, in rituals and and lies and imagining that the priests the priestcraft should control the people and, and the people should submit to the priestcraft because the priestcraft had administered the sacraments which which cleansed them of their sins and not Christ. You know, the the Rothschilds are strange ducks. And um, whenever the Forbes uh, Fortune 500 list or these lists of the most rich people in the world, they never how come pop they up. never have the Rothschilds on that list? That, because that, that they own it all. <laughs> <laughs> that the um, Disraeli wrote a novel called Konigsby. And some people say that it is loosely that that Rothschild, one of the Rothschilds, was loosely the the model upon which it was based. But even Disraeli's biographer Robert Blake said that Disraeli himself was one of the models. That Disraeli actually wrote in his own personality and and his own. Um, desires and aspirations into the characters. And, and he did become the, the prime minister based, and, 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 and his reputation was based on his writing. Well, it, it's much like, um, uh, who was the actor that played the first uh, James Bond? Uh, John, Sean Connery. People still look at him as 007. Right. And that's what Disraeli was counting on, that he was the hero of his own books. And people couldn't distinguish the difference between reality and illusion. And that's true today. That's why they turn to these actors and actresses who, who seem to be so intelligent in the roles they play. And they get their political guidance from them. But when these people are basically a bunch of... Idiots. They're, they're political idiots and whores. You know, there should be a separate category for the Academy Awards for politicians. Absolutely. I mean, even in recent times, for after, after all, Ronald Reagan was an actor, and he got elected president. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, got elected Governor of California. The, the, Ronald Reagan has a parallel with Donald Trump in that they were both Democratic liberals. Yes. Turned, quote unquote, conservative Republicans. Right? When you're acting, you can do that. And you can do it convincingly. 
that that's what psychopath the psychopathy is. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of these um, main underlings of the Rothschild dynasty is George Soros. Boy, if there was ever a wicked individual, um, he he distributes millions of dollars like candy. And he's been financing uh, the Black Lives Matter. And evidently, he uh, he's uh, financing a lot of Hillary Clinton's campaign. And in fact, George Soros is giving... Um, the, the voting machine business a run for their money in many states uh, have now bought uh, George Soros company voting machines. It, it's a severe lack of diligence on the part of office holders that an outsider could finance seditious movements inside of a nation and never be called to the carpet. Never is he named by congressmen or, or by federal prosecutors as the target of an investigation for financing seditious movements in our country, which once again tells us that Soros and the media and the people controlling our government all have the same agenda. Soros is only the patsy for it in some respects, but he should have never gotten away with this. His in, in a real world, his assets would be seized. There would be an international warrant put of out course. for his arrest. Yes. He would be brought here and hung in the real world. Interpol would have been on him like that. But we live in a Jewish fantasy world <laughs> where, where everything is it is being presented to the public so that the public is stripped bare and naked. One thing Donald Trump puts on the plate is by saying that the elections are rigged. And, uh, of course, they are. They have been since uh, JFK. If you read the book Vote Scam, uh, the media has not only manipulated uh, uh, exit polling, which is highly influential the day of the election, but every other which way you can think of rigging an election, they've done it, and they're doing it right now. George Soros was interviewed just the other day by a European paper, and um, they asked him what he thought uh, of the elections. He said Donald Trump, Trump would win the popular vote, but Hillary would win the Electoral College. And the, the interviewer asked the question, is that a done deal? And he said, that's a done deal. So, so if that's the ultimate turnout in, in the real world, he, he would be pursued and he would be brought here and hung. Well, time will <laughs> tell, you know. Time will tell. And... Uh, the, the, the point is that we don't live in a real world. We live in a world that the Jews have engineered for us that through the media and, and through the global investment banks and their power of money and the control of the Federal Reserve and our government. We're living inside of a sick Jewish fantasy. 
as I mentioned earlier, when I ran for the state legislature on election night, I went to the county auditor's office along with other candidates to uh, witness, you know, they, they make a big deal about the vans backing up to the door in which uh, these uh, big ballot boxes with two handles on them and these security guards escort them into the, um, the, the, what you think it was going to be the tabulation room. It was just a room with windows. You could clearly see them uh, unsealing the tabs and padlocks on these, you know, to make it all legit looking and everything. And then they would cart the ballot box down a hallway into a room where the computer was where you couldn't see what was going on. And I was, they would periodically every 15, 20 minutes hand out computer readouts. And lo and behold, I was leading the race for the first two or three handouts when all of a sudden the uh, county auditor, a uh, liberal Democrat, comes out screeching, there's been a glitch, there's been a computer glitch, and was grabbing everybody's printout, because that probably could have been used in a court of law, because all of a sudden, I was losing. <laughs> I think I've been a victim of vote scam, and I know after reading uh, the Collier Brothers book by that title, Vote Scam, they they document it very well uh, how it's been going on uh, for decades and and there's no reason not to believe that it's not rigged this time around. I would think so. I, I would be fairly, fairly confident to say that the, the the voting is always rigged. It may not be rigged the same in every state, but the voting is always rigged. That the person that counts the vote wins, not the decides the, the winner of the election, not the people that vote. Well, we're living in pretty bad times, Bill. And, uh, you know, people had 100 years to figure out why Noah was building that boat. And yet went about their merry way, race mixing and sodomizing. Just as in the days of America 2016. Hindsight's 2020 because, you know, we can learn from past mistakes. But the Word of God tells us that where there is no vision, the people perish. And I divine, define a vision as a, a plan with a purpose. Now, the enemy certainly has a, a, a plan, but it's not God's plan for the ages. That is uh, an immutable thing that nothing will ever change. Uh, God will have his way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But um, our people are destroyed for a lack of knowing their true identity. And if you know your identity, uh, we have certain responsibilities that's been granted to our race. And uh, it's funny that a former CIA director, William Casey, he said in 1981, 
we'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false, end quote. <laughs> you know, I got news for him. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be justified in your words and prevail in your judgments. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's great that some people are waking up and aware of all this rampant corruption, but making that a fixation, if people are just fixed on on that stopping point and and go no further, then one's calling, one's calling from God is an impediment to go no further. And and people have to I think people are beginning to go beyond just simple acceptance of things to go along to get along you have to question authority and really it people only do that when it affects their pocketbook and isn't it interesting i think it's a little bit of divine intervention how obamacare is collapsing just before the election it's falling apart at the seams because it's corrupt to begin with, it's forcing people to gamble, actually. That's what insurance companies are. They're glorified casinos. Absolutely. And, and one more reason, you know, uh, another negative notch on Trump's belt for being a, a panderer to uh, people's vices of, of gambling and, and the things that uh, go along with um, visiting a, a casino or resort such as uh, in, in Las Vegas or um, Jersey Shores or where have you, uh, Florida. Uh, it, but, but insurance is gambling against yourself. It, if you pay your premiums every year and never suffer an, any ill, that, then you've lost all your money because you've got no value for it. If you pay your premiums every year and become terribly sick, and 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 spend fifty thousand dollars in hospital bills, then you've won because you've gotten your value out of your insurance. And here's the kicker: <laughs> Hillary has promised to raise the penalty fees for those that don't go along with it, that don't apply for their communist health care program. You know, a good example is the, like the Tea Party and a lot of these Trump supporters and white nationalists that they both have a sense that something's wrong, but rather than being happy as a clam with the status quo, they, they act, the, the Trump rallies are in the tens of thousands, which has been unseen, unheard of in, in a long, long time. Oh, right. People Even, are motivated to go and get fired up. That there was, I saw a video today of a farm, a, a Trump rally in the farmland of, of Ohio, and it was just packed with, with, with people that you could see were rural white people. That this huge warehouse sized barn. What was just wall to wall, standing room only, or, or not even standing room. I mean, it was packed. And 
<clears throat> the media is not reporting at all on the crowds that Trump is drawing, while Hillary isn't drawing anyone, <laughs> and she, she's still way ahead in the polls. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it really is a, a comedy of errors uh, or, or, or trickery. Uh, I, I've seen uh, YouTube where she was at a certain venue and they used one of these green backgrounds to incorporate a false crowd. Not only that, but they did a false foreground of, of a crowd that really wasn't there. Because after she finished her speech, these people, as you see in so many crowds, they were holding up their smartphones where you could see the, the camera, and the camera was not depicting Hillary. Hillary was not in the picture. <laughs> that there has been no that this that that's what unique is unique about this election is that because probably because of the, the um ubiquitous presence of cell phones and and the ability to live stream videos to YouTube and 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 to have things posted on Facebook so widely we see for the first time all of the outright lies and deception that have been perpetrated by the media and perhaps a great number of people will wake up to the fact that the media has controlled and and set not measured but created public opinion in this country and has not reported on but has created news for for decades and decades we've been living under an illusion everything the news reports is a lie and and every poll is a lie. Every poll and every news report is manufactured to tug the hearts and minds of the people into the direction that the international Jew wants the people to head in. We in Christian identity want to destroy all of this political nonsense. It's just craziness. And great white civilizations have come and gone because the people couldn't focus on a very simple premise that, as I said earlier, Christ told his people, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We need a collective repentance, not a collective mob of bread and circuses. You know, it's very entertaining. I'll admit, I laugh at some of the things Donald Trump says. But in the end, what does it get me? It doesn't get me the right. kingdom. I really believe that identity Christians and this election should teach them more than anything. And it's sad when I see so many identity Christians caught up in Trump, a Donald Trump, as a hope and a savior, the last thing they should be looking for. This election, more than anything, should teach us that we have to become totally detached from politics and at the same time use politics as a tool to detach, 
to spread our message and to detach more of our people from politics, to help them wake up to what we should know, to help them get on the path that we think that we're on. And that's the only route that the only route to a solution that we have is in Christ and not in any politics at all. We should only see the politics as a tool for, for exposing the, the demons running the world and, and exposing and, and hoping to bring, to bring our people to an, an awakening, a realization that there is no political solution. That the only solution it is in repentance and and a return to Christ, and, and that's the only the only solution to the control of world Jewry is Jesus Christ. There is no other solution, and, and that is the correct word. It is uh, merely a tool, and that's why I, I ran for office. I used that as a tool to spread the good news of Christian identity. And they usually afforded uh, candidates a, a table with literature, and, uh, uh, and and I went to farmers markets and I engaged people with uh, conversation about what I stood for, and 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 handed out pamphlets. And um, I I mentioned uh, a while back in in our own church that I I think we're approaching a paradigm. In which, you know, and there's nothing wrong with uh, getting together and fellowshipping and worship. But I think we're approaching uh, the day where we're going to have to be engaging with our fellow Israelites. And I know you do that down in Florida, just walking along the beach and All the time. Or sitting in a restaurant and striking up a conversation. And you never know who's going to be receptive. Right, we do it all the time. That's that's our sport. That that's our our it is extracurricular it is a, activity. And if 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 you don't have fun doing it, well, by all means, don't do it. But I mentioned earlier that um, I uh, I promised last summer that I was going to write an open letter to Donald Trump, and I watched how current events were unfolding throughout the summer and and up until the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I sat down and I racked my brain and I prayed, you know, that I could write the right kind of thing in an open letter. And who knows if he's ever going to see it, because I sent it to Trump Towers. Uh, who's going to open the envelope? Who's going to filter? Who's going to censor? But I, our church prayed corporately that it would see his eyes, that he would eventually see it. I really hope he does see it. And it's not so much in in the hope that, although it would be nice, that, that he sees and understands Christian identity, you know, that, that God pops that bubble uh, of all the um, religious traitors that he surrounds himself with well, well that's the thing i don't want to I, I don't want to rain on your parade i i don't want to wish your, your endeavor any failure well i'm not but, finished but yet I, I don't know if a man could open his eyes and see when he's up to his forehead and juice 
That, that's all, well, all I used the example of Paul on the road to Damascus. Who, who would have thought one of the main persecutors of Christian in that day and age would become one of the most famous Christians ever? Who would, who would um, uh, fill the empty space of the New Testament with his epistles? So you never know when God's going to grab somebody by the neck and and throw them down and and get their attention. I mean, he's got enough juice surrounding him that 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 might be what it takes if, to if wake him up. If he falls off his ass, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, he has command of the media right now. They just can't. They love him. It's a love-hate relationship, you know. But I really didn't have any um, um, uh, mistaken aspirations that uh, anything would change. My open letter to Donald Trump is just as much a tool and propaganda piece to alert other people. Maybe Trump supporters will read this. Last summer, I Googled open letter to Donald Trump, and there was only like three or four. Now, there must be like three or four hundred. I went 20 pages Googling to see if my open letter to Donald Trump, and after 20 pages, it's still I still couldn't find it. And I don't the, know how buried it is. The, the first 19 pages were probably filled with letters from Nambla. <laughs> they were all hostile. They were all hostile. And I said at the beginning of my letter, this is not a hostile letter, but sent in the love of Jesus Christ. So, La Raza. I told him my interest was the same as his to make America great again. And that this letter may be the most important thing that he ever reads in his lifetime. You know, he says his favorite book is the Bible. <laughs> I, I kind of doubt that he's ever read it. Maybe he's read parts of it, but I don't think he has a working understanding. No way. No, no way. You can't do the things that Donald Trump has done right. in, in the corporate world with his, his put white people out of their homes to build golf courses. and uh, that, That's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, all sorts of... Um, unchristian things and, and, and actually have a firm standing in the Bible, unless you're a Talmudic Jew yourself. I mean, that's possible. <laughs> well, there's an interesting tidbit, which I haven't heard anybody talk about. I, I've heard some people trying to foment um, gossip that his real name is Trump with an F and that he's a Jew, but there's very little corroboration to that. But I was researching his mother, who is from Scotland. She came to America very poor, and she married um, Fred Trump, who is Donald's father, whose middle name is Christ. And I thought, well, that's odd. That must be some kind of European thing, because he was from German parents. Right, it would be a real odd name for a Jew. I've, I've heard of Christian or Christoph as, as European-type names. 
but I thought it was odd that his middle name was Christ. Uh, nevertheless, um, I, I did some research for Donald Trump to let him know that, being that his mother was from Scotland, that the Scottish Declaration of Independence, way back in the 1600s, uh, admitted to their ancestry with the Scythians. Just one little thing that may pop his bubble. Who knows? But here's the interesting thing about his father. That during the 1920s, in New York City, uh, this is when the second era or revival of the Ku Klux Klan reached its apex, some estimate it to be as many as 5 million members nationwide, and and very respected mayors of cities and even clergy and elected officials were members. And there was a riot in New York City between Klansmen and Catholics. And seven of the Klansmen that were arrested in robes was Fred Trump. Now, Donald, uh, I researched this. He's denied. He said it was some other Fred some Trump. Some other Fred Trump, right. But but researchers researched the voting records of that time and found that the Fred Trump that was arrested was the same address as the Fred Trump who was a registered voter. Same address. <laughs> Well, we have pictures of um, Hillary in blackface. Yeah, I've seen that. And, and if those pictures, that if if Donald Trump ever wore blackface, he would have never made it through the primaries. The media would have hounded him to death and yeah. and shamed him. The thing is, there's there's so much they're leaving out. You know, there's a lot of truth out there. But the American people aren't getting a, a whole lot of it. They're, They're getting not, a little. Right. There's a, well, well, he might be like a safety valve. You know, they'll leak a little here and there, but just enough to toss a bone to the people. You know, just to appease people and the conspiracy theorists. You know, that'll give them some fresh meat to gnaw on. But I told him if America needs to be great again, that means we fell from greatness at some point in our history. And I can tell you, it emanates from a fallen and corrupt church, just as rotten as government. And we've been talking about the clergy this evening. Um, but the two of them have a symbiotic uh, relationship throughout history. Unfortunately, we're not too great right now. In spite of uh, Hillary's jaded view of the status quo, she thinks things are great right now. Yeah, you know, Christian governance, the government and the church are one in Christian governance. If you really look at the New Testament, the plan of God is for the government and the church, the government to be of Christ, of course, and, and the church to be one. And when Christians were fooled out of that, they, they were tricked out of that in, in the dawn of liberalism, now, the governments and the churches are both in the hands of the devil. They're both in the hands of the Jews. You know, about 10 years or so ago, I wrote a sermon called A Preemptive 
Romans 13 strike. And it was uh, about a news story I read between the government and churches called the Emergency Response Team, in which some 23,000 ministers, Judeo-Christian ministers, had sworn their allegiance to a, a time in which the, uh, the government would declare some state of emergency uh, in which the, the duty of these ministers would be to convince their congregations that it's okay to turn your guns over to the government, much like what they've done in Australia, and that the government will give them back in due time after the emergency. <laughs> wow. Um, of course, that's a totally warped view of Romans 13. But there is this symbiosis between the Judaized church and the Judaized government. It's hand in glove. Um, well, well the, the, the religion being peddled to the masses is a religion designed to perpetuate the imperial government. It's Roman paganism all over again. It's it's so it's it's such pure Marxist dialectics that if somebody's not familiar with how dialectics works, you know this, you got a thesis, then you got an antithesis, and then you got the synthesis, and that's what Jews do all the time. They create a problem, and then they create a solution. And the end result is the byproduct of what they desired all along. I think it's just, it's madness. I told in my open letter, it's madness to impose other morals and values upon this once great Christian nation. I said, think of it. A white Christian America, as envisioned by our founding fathers, or... A third world melting pot that has no identity, no heritage, and thus no future of greatness. No other religion or faith will make America great again. I mean, that's just simple logic, Bill. If he could only read that one paragraph, it's just common sense. You can't make America great with this melting pot of mongrels, this melting pot of every Tom, Dick, and Harry religion that's out there. Well, for that reason, Hillary thinks that America is great. Oh, so, yeah. So. The more madness, the merrier. It, it's it's a, um, Paul of Tarsus said that what we, um, our battle is not with the flesh, but within the powers in heavenly places. And, 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 and it's a spiritual battle. He wasn't talking about space. He was talking about the seats of government. He, he was talking about the halls of power here on earth. And, and that's where our battle should be. That is that we, we don't fight with ghosts. We fight with that these, um, that these Talmudic ideas that have 
crept into every area of thought in our society, and they must be ejected from the minds of our people for those people to ever repent and return to their God so that our land can be healed. You know, I've heard for years, as well as a lot of other people, that Hillary's a witch. And I didn't really know if that was true or not. And so um, I, I did some um, research on that for my most recent sermon, The United States of Amorality. And um, I found some corroborating evidence, one from uh, Larry Nichols, who was very close to the Clintons during the Arkansas years. And he related that when they were in the White House, Hillary would go with the girls all the way to the flight of the West Coast for a meeting amongst witches. Okay, there's one witness. Uh, the second witness was... Gary Aldrich, a Secret Service agent that was stationed in the White House. And, and during those years, if you were a Secret Service agent, that was not a good assignment, especially if you were assigned to Hillary. And one of the things he notes in his uh, book um, is that the First Lady always had her Christmas tree. And, and that's another one of those things where, yeah, people have heard that uh, they had a Christmas tree in the White House decorated with condoms. Wow. Well, the rest of the story is that people every year send the White House things to hang on the tree. Well, the First Lady's tree is in the home residence of the White House, so not many people see it unless you're like a Secret Service agent. And and he saw some of the outrageous things that were hanging on that tree, like fertility gods and goddesses, wood carvings, uh, ceramic deities, all these kind of things that pertain to the occult. Who would hang something like that on a Christmas tree if they weren't? like a practicing witch. And, and that might be the future that we have to look forward to the next four years or eight years with the uh, Hillary Clinton presidency, that all that may very well come out of the closet, that our society may um, become degenerated to that point. So, you know, Bill, unfortunately, the choice Americans face might be between a female witch and uh, or a, a male wizard, which a, is a, a rock and a hard place. <laughs> well, well, I think that that's um, a good place to conclude. I, I don't know if you have any closing notes, but well, I do. And as a matter of fact, it's a prayer that I offered Donald Trump that he could pray to God. He might not be very good at praying. And, you know, sometimes we're given a template to, to pray because people just don't know how to pray. And this is what I suggested. I said, Mr. Trump, time is running out, not only for this election, but for America. What if you were to actually humble yourself? Let's say one of your huge rallies, which is usually televised, and 
instead of stepping down as many of your never Trump enemies desire, you bow down. You get down on your knees and you pray from the inner core of your heart. And you say something like, Lord, I am a sinner, and my nation is deep in sin. We have fallen away from thy law and leaned unto our own understanding. We need your Holy Spirit at this time to lead us out of the darkness and into your light. Help us to identify our transgressions with men of God. Bring us the spirit of Elijah to overcome the tragedy that is overshadowing the land. Lord Jesus, we can do nothing without thy authority. Hear your nation Israel repenting of the Jew. Deliver us from evil within and without. Our sins are great. Your children have disobeyed, but you have overcome your adversaries. Because your word assures us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The world cannot save us. The world accounts us as sheep for the slaughter. Hear our prayers, even if we are not that knowledgeable of your saving grace at this time. And allow us, your people Israel, to grow with the glory of thy power, both now and forever. We humbly pray, make America great again. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I said, Mr. Trump, our hope and faith can only be supernatural. Will you believe the truth that makes men free? Well, well, that's along the lines of what we, we have to do if we ever want to expect to turn around this country. I just don't know if Donald Trump is going to be the man to do that. You know, this could apply to anybody that considers himself a leader in this country, whether it's in the government, whether it's in their church, right. if it's in their family. The real leaders came from the wilderness wearing camel hair <laughs> camel hair garments and and that the real and boy if that wasn't humbling the real deliverers of ancient israel were not found in the halls of power they were yes. all corrupt and and that's the pattern and that's what we have to consider what we shouldn't turn to the halls of power we should turn to god but there's nothing wrong with encouraging our, our earthly leaders to repentance. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what the prophets of Israel did. And when they refused, then God replaced them. Well, I only have one more thing to say. That America was born white and Christian. Our founding fathers turned their heart to the ancient children of Israel. The white children of today must turn their hearts to the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By turning, we mean to say conversion. By conversion, we mean to look at your racial ancestry 
that is, the rock from whence ye were hewn. Just by looking into it, you are not turning a blind eye to the truth. And once you see the light, you will also have the vision of God's will. If you have the vision of God's will, you have faith. And if you have faith, the faith of your fathers, your nation race, will once again be born under the law and grace of our Lord and Savior. This is the Elijah ministry of Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, and the divine calling of Christian identity. May our prayers lead us to the right and only Lord, make America one nation, one nation race under God, begotten from above. Well, thank you for joining us, Mark, and praise Yahweh. It was my pleasure. God bless. Tomorrow night, Arthur Lee. Thank you for being here.